And I don't mean that we can't be friends with God, but Jesus like knew tangibly what that was, right? And so this morning, I want to consider some of the things that Jesus says about prayer and shows us about prayer. You know, prayer really is one of the aspects of a Christian life that we have total control over. Um, you know, when, when I stand before the Lord someday, you know, there might be, I, I have no idea how this uh, discussion or what this judgment's going to look like. I don't know if I'll have a back and forth with God or if God's just going to render and that's it or what. But if there's a back and forth, maybe he'll say something like, you know, were you a forgiving person? And I'll say, hopefully, yes, God, I was faithful to being forgiving. But when you really think about that, how many opportunities did I choose for myself to be forgiving? Oftentimes those are thrust upon you by someone else's actions or inactions or whatever. <laughs> I don't choose that. But prayer is something I always choose. You know, prayer is something that I have to be intentional about. I have to seek out and make time for. And so I think in the Christian life, in the, the disciples' life, prayer is one of the things that we have total control over. And so as such, I think it's appropriate to talk about it. So what does your prayer life look like? Uh, this lesson's not meant to be a very um, dense theological lesson. I'm aiming this at, in practical terms. So think about prayer this way. I, I was trying to think of a way to, to kind of make prayer tangible, quantifiable, observable, and in a way that might reveal some of the common issues we have with prayer. And the best thing that I could come up with is if imagine your prayers being written down by God. Right? And, and we know in Revelation there's this portrait of God approaching books of life and books of death. And your life can be found in one or the other. Well, imagine he did the same thing with prayer. Imagine God had a record of everyone's like communication with him. All right. And so when you imagine your prayer life, would it be the size of a complete work from a prolific author? Or would it be more reminiscent of a collection of comic strips or a short story? Think about that. What about this? Would reading it reveal an emotional and honest prose or a forced and rote one? Would you enjoy reading that book? How about this? Would the content flow and progress as a work of focus and consistency? Or would it be incongruous and choppy as if the writing were picked back up every few years? When you think about your prayer life, I think when you think in terms of a book, if God recorded it for you, you start to see some of the issues we struggle with in our prayer lives. Like maybe it's a really thin book. Well, that's an issue, right? Maybe it's really choppy and like the writing picks up every six months or a year or whatever. Then that's a problem. Or maybe it's just really repetitious. There's no like heart in it. There's no thought in it. It's not a good read. Right? I think Jesus represents to us what an abundant, heartfelt, and consistent communication with God the Father would be. What that book would look like. He lived it out for us. Right? Um, so the question is, are we able to do the same thing? Are you manifesting in your life? Are you reflecting in your life, being a disciple of Jesus, even in your prayers? Do you have the same uh, figurative book of prayer that he had? Um, and so that's what I want to look at this morning. That was a little bit uh, longer in the ways of introductions than I might typically do. But I think thinking about it being 
a back and forth thing, a conversation, so to speak. Um, thinking about it in a, terms of a book maybe gets us wrestling with some of the concepts and the struggles that we have with prayer. Uh, look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. This is the first text I want to look at. The model for this lesson is uh, I basically have six kind of main points that I want to make from four different texts. Uh, so hopefully we can follow along not, and it's not too uh, quick or convoluted here. But uh, in Luke chapter 6, I only want to read verse 12. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and in that text says this. In these days, he, right, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he, Jesus, continued in prayer to God. Uh, there's, there's a lot to say about this, but the, the two kind of main things I want to say about Jesus' example of prayer here is that he's very intentional. Um, that's the first thing I want to highlight. And the second thing is, uh, and is that he allotted special quiet time for prayer. So he was intentional about it, and he allotted special time for it. Um, the reason I want to bring that up is because there are a lot of characteristics of Jesus that disciples, you and I, are to mimic that are reactionary and to some extent. The example I used earlier even being forgiving, like that is a characteristic that I need to develop that in a lot of ways is reactionary. When someone approaches me having wronged me, am I willing to react in a forgiving way, right? Am I willing to put on a forgiving mindset in those moments, right? Or even patience. I often don't think about being patient until my I'm tempted to be impatient, right? And I have to then say, all right, Josh, be patient, right? And hopefully that becomes more automatic over the years, but it's more of a reaction to a set of circumstances than it is anything, right? But prayer is something that Jesus was intentional about. It wasn't a reaction so much as he was being proactive, right? In this time, Jesus has been healing a lot of people. Crowds have been gathering, and in this text here, when you get to verse 12, he finds time to go to a mountain. And what you gather from this is nobody went with him. It says on verse 13, when the day came, he called his disciples. And so it seems like the picture is he departs at the end of the day. He goes up on the mountain. He spends the night, all of it in prayer. And the next day he brings the disciples back. Um, and so the question for us is, are, are you intentional? Are you an intentional prayer? Right? Or are you an accidental one? Okay. Jesus was very intentional in his prayer life. Uh, more, more often than I, I want to be honest about, I'm an accidental one. Like I am pushed to pray or some sort of mechanism kicks in for me to pray kind of automatically without too much purpose in it. And those things are good. I want those reactions developed in me like, hey, Set of circumstances triggers, my heart or my mind has been programmed to pray. But Jesus was also very intentional, cognizant, conscientious in his prayer time. Another thing that I want you to ask yourself is, do you make a point to a lot special time for that? That's probably where I'm the worst. Um, I've gotten in a good habit of not slowing down, but still praying. 
right? Like I pray in the car, or maybe I pray when you wake up or pray before a meal or whatever, but like things are going, things are happening. Jesus took time out of his night that he could have been spending with the disciples, that he could have been doing whatever else, and he spent that time in prayer. Would have been nice to sleep, I imagine, but he prayed. And so the question for us, are we intentional prayers? Are we accidental ones? And do we make a point to a lot special time for that? Because Jesus did. Look in Luke 11. That's the text Blake read for us. I'm not going to read it again. Um, I'm just going to make a few points from it. The first four verses, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And so when Jesus is given this opportunity, you have verses 2, 3, and 4, right? Uh, there's probably a, a lot to be said about this, um, but there's just a couple simple points that I want to, to make. As disciples, if we want to know how to pray, this is the perfect question to ask Jesus, whose figurative book of prayer would have been the perfect book of prayer, right? Like he had perfect communion with the Lord. And so why not ask Jesus, hey, how do we pray? And look at what Jesus does. He offers... I think um, kind of a, an outline of a prayer here. I don't obviously spending all night in prayer. He didn't just say verses two, three, and four like a thousand times. I'm sure he elaborated on a lot. In fact, we see prayers of Jesus where he doesn't say just this, but he gives a template, so to speak, of a prayer that's effective. And it starts in verse in two with Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation matthew records a very uh this this very prayer as well uh, a couple things if you want to know how to pray your instinct as a disciple should be to ask jesus well luke 11 right um hopefully you're modeling your prayers your uh your prayer follows the example of jesus um, maybe not verbatim but it follows templates you see Jesus leading us in. Also, uh, I think the disciples do the right thing here. And so another lesson for us is um, create in you the heart that wants Jesus to teach you how to pray. Sometimes I, I'm tempted to ask the question, God or Jesus, you know, help me to pray out of a sense of obligation for asking and not out of a sense of wanting to know the answer. Does that make sense? And so hopefully we've, like the disciples here, say, Jesus, please, like we want to know how to pray. Hopefully as disciples, we have that same mentality. You know what Jesus does? He teaches them. So know that Jesus is willing to do that. Um, <coughs> I don't know if you guys have ever heard this acronym, ACTS, like when it comes to prayer, A-C-T-S, ACTS. Um, I think it's big in certain religious circles, bigger in certain religious circles than others. I've heard it before. I had to look it up when I started thinking about it. I was like, wait, what do all those mean again? Um, but it means adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, I'm not saying every prayer has to contain all four, but that's a simple mechanism that represents, I think, a lot of the, the motif of Jesus's prayers. And so Jesus shows them that uh, many of these things, you know, the adoration at the beginning of his prayer, the confession therein, uh, forgiving of sins. Uh, we see even supplication for the bread and for the forgiveness. 
and for being led not into temptation. We know that Thanksgiving is a huge part of prayer, you know. Philippians 4, 6 says that. Um, And so creating in us this idea that Jesus knows how to pray and that we should seek answers from him is what a disciple should do. Um, Moving through this text, though, look in verses 5 through 8. Jesus starts talking about not just how to pray, but he starts talking about, like, the manner with which you approach prayer. And this first story that he kind of offers about this friend coming at midnight and asking for things, the point that he makes from it is actually at the very end. Um, Verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, specifically, I think Jesus is telling them to ask for the Holy Spirit, to ask for good things from God. Um, And so one of the lessons that I think that we as disciples, so many years removed from um, this particular time period, can learn from this, is that when I plead for things, when I bring my supplications before God, um, he supplies what is needed to those who are persistent about it. In this text, he's saying, the Holy Spirit, I'll give that. Like, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Wouldn't the Father give the Holy Spirit if you asked for it? (coughs) Jesus knows that God gives what is needed to those who are persistent, like that person who comes at midnight asking, um, who are diligent. And so we as disciples should approach prayer with a diligence, a persistence. Um, but did you notice uh, Jesus is very specific about what the Father is willing to give. He's willing to give something good. And specifically in the text, he gives the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes I go to God with my prayers because I have wills and I have wants and I have confusions and I'm, I'm imperfect. I don't know all things. And so I'll ask God for certain things that I'm sure are not his will. He doesn't want to give me that thing or he does want to give me something else. And so I have to recognize that perhaps what God gives me is good. I might be asking for an egg, but maybe I need the Holy Spirit, so to speak, right? I might be asking for something that God wants wants to give me something else. But no, like a good father, he gives me what is good, right? Have you ever uh, been around a kid or can you remember times when you were a kid and you asked for something? And your parents didn't give it to you, and you got pretty upset about it. But then when you look, you look back years later, you realize what they actually did or didn't do for you was better in the long run. How much more so the Heavenly Father, right? And so we have to know that God respects our diligence in prayer. He supplies what is good and what is needed. But oftentimes... Um, we don't ask for what is good and what is needed. So we have to be ready for God to supply that to us. Um, in verses 9 through 13 in Luke 11, uh, Jesus basically is, is uh, talking about what we just read here. And the lesson that I get is that we should expect results from prayer. That's another lesson I get that can easily be overlooked because as a believer, I've kind of become numb to the fact that God listens to prayers. But... That's not something to sell short, that when you communicate to God, when you pray like Jesus prayed at the beginning of 11 through 14, not only does God hear that, 
but the point that he's making is he wants to be a heavenly and a good father to you, so he's going to do something. He's going to do give something to those who ask. Right? So the question is, do you expect results? Do you pray thinking you're praying to like an empty space in the sky? Do you pray because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do, but within you you have no expectation of change or result? Or do you actually pray because you know your Heavenly Father wants to do good things for you? Do you expect results? And similar to that is, do you believe God will? You know, there's, there are results that can be gained from prayer. Do you expect to see them, and do you think God will do them? I think there's a separate question that uh, philosophers have been asking for a long time. Once you get past the, is God real or not? Like, does he exist? The next question is, well, if he does exist, not can he do it, but will he do it? Right? That's always like the next question. Well, if God in principle is who we think he is, then certainly he can, but will he? Right? This text is revealing to us he can give good gifts, but that's not what it says. He will give good gifts. And so do you really believe that he will? Right? Sometimes that's our struggle. Maybe it's fueled by self-doubt. Maybe it's fueled by guilt. Maybe it's fueled by lack of faith, whatever. Do you really believe that God will give good things to those who seek him in prayer? Look at Matthew chapter 6. This is another text here. Matthew chapter 6. Let's uh, read verses uh, 5 and 6 here. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Many of the lessons that we've already talked about could be represented in this text. I want to highlight a few that are more unique to this teaching here. The context of this is actually the the first verse of chapter 6 that we didn't read. Um, He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, you know, you might ask Jesus, Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Well, he goes into prayer as a specific example of how to avoid that. Um, But in this text, what we learn, right, is your prayer life is not for the observation of other people. It's not to get the notice of the people around you or on the street corner or, you know, down the block or whatever. Now, will we be noticed? For instance, if I lead a prayer at the end of a Bible study here, like, yes. But is it for that? I think that's what Jesus is speaking to in verse 1, right? He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. That's not the problem. In order to be seen by them. The purpose of the praying in front of other people sometimes is to be seen. Praying, right? And so Jesus' point is in verse 5, When you pray, don't be like the people that do that. 
And what does he call people that want to be pray, praying before other people? Something is hypocritical about that. Why is that hypocritical? Well, because they're praying, which is supposed to be this, right? The act of prayer is supposed to be communication upward to God, but they're actually praying laterally, right? That's a hypoc- If you're saying you're talking to God and you're actually talking to people, right, there's something false about that. And so Jesus identifies that as being like a hypocrite, being as a hypocrite. And so we need to understand as disciples, my prayer life is not for other people. Um, In fact, in verse 5, Jesus says when you pray for other people, right, other people's notice is your reward. Like that's what you get out of that. Another text, when you actually pray to God, he does good things for you. He hears your prayers. He gives the Holy Spirit, all these other things. But when you pray for people, the the only reward in that, the only product of that is the notice of people. Um, But when you pray for God's attention, for his notice, verse 6, God hears and he rewards um, those who do that. Even though people may not see it, you're in secret, God knows the things that are secret. And so the question to ask yourself from this text is, do you pray to God or, or do you pray for those who might be around to notice? Which one do you do? You know, it's real easy, I think, to fall into that trap, especially maybe some of us men who might be able to do more of that in a public setting, like here or something like that. But I mean, all of us can fall into it. I've noticed myself, um, I only live with one other person. I mean, it's just me and Kirby. But I've noticed the temptation in myself to even be seen praying in our home just so Kirby could see me praying at home. Now, I fight that temptation, and that sounds silly, but like to be known as a prayer feels like a good thing, right? Even when it's just one other person around. Like, it doesn't have to be an audience of 20 people to fall into this category. And so, we have to be really honest with ourselves and really listen to what Jesus is saying is, Am I praying for the people around me, whoever and how many of whoever that may be and how many there may be, or am I praying for God to actually hear me? Mark chapter 14. This is our last text. Mark chapter 14. So do you pray to God for those, to God or for those who might notice you? Mark 14 presents our last question about prayer that we might want to ask ourselves. Beginning at verse 32. Mark 14 verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. 
See, my betrayer is at hand. Of course, the context of this is um, the night, the night basically before, as Jesus kind of becomes uh, entangled in this arrest and this tri- these trials, and ultimately leading to his crucifixion. Um, but a couple of lessons that I want us to see in this is when Jesus faced imminent danger, trouble, and stress, his response to that was to make time for prayer. Um, I think this reflects, you know, like Luke 6, 12. He was very intentional. He made special time for prayer. A lot of the rules that we set up for ourselves, like if we can condition ourselves to have godly character, let's say, you know, I have really worked on making intentional time for prayer, um, setting aside special time for (laughs) even, not just being intentional, but like blocking off time for that purpose. Um, That would be a really great thing. But oftentimes what happens is once I develop some of these maybe good habits, these good, uh, this good character starts to form, stress, trial comes my way. And the temptation in those moments is to throw out all of the good character and habits that I've formed. Like to rewire my brain, even though I've just started wiring it in a godly way, well now that things are not ideal, I have to do something different. What Jesus is modeling for us here is that, in fact, when danger, trouble, and stress come, that is the time to lean on what you've built. And it is the time to be intentional in prayer. That's not a time to throw out your mechanism of talking to God. That's the time to lean on it. In fact, it's the perfect time, really, for for dealing with danger and trouble, stress, all those things. Because in verses 35 and 36... Prayer is an opportunity for you to address God concerning his will and yours. Like, God, I know you want this one thing for me. You desire this for me, but I'm thinking I want this, and I want this to happen. Isn't that what Jesus is doing? Have a father. Please remove this cup from me, but I know it's not my will, it's your will. David represented a lot of this in his psalms. Sometimes I struggle with how to read psalms because I'm like, well, David was a man after God's own heart, and this is a part of the Bible, so surely he's not actually complaining about God. Maybe I should read something else into this. I think there are moments where David was complaining about what was happening or what God had done, but the key to those psalms is that's not where he stays. Oftentimes, you know, before the psalm even ends, he starts kind of coming back, right? David would start saying, okay, but I understand that you've been there for me before. And I'll continue to trust in you and seek refuge in Zion and things like that. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is, you know, as we imagine this, this figurative book of prayer, you know, if God were to, to record all the prayers of Jesus, he would look at that and be pleased, right? Jesus did everything well and yet this is part of that book this tension between what Jesus wants and what God wants the key to this though is because is in the fact that Jesus ultimately relents and says you know what it's your will not mine in fact he prays this a couple times in verse 39 apparently he goes back and prays the exact same words again so he's really wrestling with this here (laughs) another lesson that I see in this is that 
prayer, uh, strength and fortitude in your spiritual life is intrinsically tied to your prayers. Jesus anticipates a lot of turmoil in the very near future. And so he wants Peter, for instance, to be praying. And Peter keeps falling asleep. And when Jesus talks to him about like, hey, you need to stay awake, his reason is not because I told you to. His reason is because, uh, verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus recognizes that prayer is tied to spiritual strength and fortitude. And so when we look at the whole of this this paragraph here, 32 through 42, one of the questions that I think we should ask ourselves is, do you go to God in the difficult times of your life? And do you go to God when your will is counter to his? Jesus did both of those things. So as I wrap up here, uh, I've asked a sequence of questions. I don't know if you've uh, been able to keep track of them. I don't blame you if you haven't. Um, but I'll, I'll go over the questions again. So are you an intentional prayer or are you an accidental one? Do you make a point to a lot special quiet time for prayer? Do you expect results from your prayers? Do you even believe God will X, Y, Z when you ask for it? Do you pray to God or for those who might notice? And do you go to God in the difficult times or when your will is counter to his? Those are the six questions that I've asked through these texts. Jesus showed us the right answer to every one of these. And so Jesus led a life of prayer that, you know, if we think of it as a book, it was not a comic strip. It was abundant. There were volumes. I mean, it was like a, a complete work from a prolific author, right? It was heartfelt. It wasn't just like you'd be reading uh, how to cook something, right? Like it was just like, okay, thank you. Ask for this. Beg for this. And done. Same thing over and over again. There was a real uh, heart behind it and emotion in it. And it was consistent. You see, time and time again, Jesus makes time for prayer. He talks to God. He prays about something. He asks for prayers. He tells others to pray. It wasn't choppy. There wasn't long pauses. There wasn't absences in the writing, so to speak. And so if we want to be a real disciple of Jesus, then you too uh, will foster the kind of communication uh, with God by being intentional in prayer, by allotting special time, for prayer by praying the way Jesus taught to pray, by expecting prayer to produce results, by praying to talk to God, not to show off, and by praying fervently in the most trying times of your life. If you model Jesus in those six ways, um, then when God looks at your life's collection of prayers, he'll see volumes of abundant, heartfelt, and consistent communication. He will. And as disciples, isn't that what we want? I want every aspect of my life when God looks at me to be my best shot at being like Jesus's. That doesn't mean it will be exactly like Jesus, but I want God to say, man, that was his best shot at looking like Jesus. And so when God looks at this, <laughs> this figurative book of my prayers, I want him to look at mine and be like, that looks a lot like Jesus's. That looks a lot like my son's prayers. <coughs> and so hopefully, uh, in this lesson, you've evaluated kind of on a personal level 
um, where you're sitting with God. I mean, has God talked to you recently? Like, have you talked to him? Have you made your will known? Have you asked for things? Have you praised him? Have you confessed to him? Oftentimes when I, I look at myself, I, uh, I realize that if God were Blake Edwards type person to me, would Blake be like, yeah, we're not friends, right? Like, would God look at me and be like, yeah, I don't really know that guy. Like, we used to be close or, you know, whatever. Like, he's spotty. He shows up every, like, year asking for stuff. And so, like, you know, like, those kinds of friends in your life, you're kind of like, you. I don't like that friend that just shows up every blue moon asking for stuff. You know, like, we don't like those people. Am I that kind of person to God? Or am I like his son? Where he knows me. He knows when we disagree. He knows that what I need. He knows the things that I need from him spiritually. He knows that I'm going to have a hard week this week because I've already talked to him about it. Does he know me like that? All these questions are a moot question if you're not a disciple of Jesus in the first place, though. Um, You can't have that kind of relationship with God without being in Christ himself. Um, there's a scene in the book of Zechariah where Joshua is shown kind of approaching God. And when Satan tries to discredit him from being close to God, being able to talk to God, his claim is that because Joshua is dirty. Like he's not fit to be close to God. His robes are nasty and all this stuff. Zechariah chapter 2 or 3, I can't remember. But you know what God does in that moment wasn't to remove Zechariah or Joshua. Um, It wasn't any other thing but to say, I'll give you new robes. He didn't change his standard. He didn't discredit the claim. He just said, I'm going to make it a way for you to have new robes. I'll give you those new robes. I'll place them on you, and then you you can be here. That's exactly what Jesus makes possible Um, for us to 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 be able to talk to God like Joshua does in that that moment in Zechariah we have to have new robes and Jesus is the one that makes that possible and so if you're not even a disciple you can't get to you can't do the practical stuff with prayer until you can even talk to God in the first place in his son and so I would encourage that from you as well to consider that this morning Thank you guys for your attention. Uh, As we're wrapping up here, Richard has picked out a song for us to sing. If there's any needs that you have, any prayers that you want uh, people to pray with you or anything like that, let Richard know, let me know, let someone beside you know just so that we can help you with that. This song is kind of the perfect time to let someone know about that. So be thinking and evaluating your spiritual life as we're singing this song.